Well, the scripture this <clears throat> the scripture this morning is James chapter five, verses thirteen through eighteen. And if you can please stand for the reading of God's word. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Pardon? Yes. Um, I, I, I struggled with uh, what to do today because I very much like on this Thanksgiving Sunday to, to preach to that. But I had one more sermon in the book of James. And I didn't want this big gap between, you know, because I'm going to preach through the Advent season, um, and I didn't want this big gap between the last sermon and James. Anyway, you get what I'm saying? Okay, thank you. I'm not doing a very good job of explaining that. So, we're going to finish up James today. And uh, he deals with prayer. It's kind of interesting, I think, that we just not that long ago had uh, Nathan Covington here and he addressed the whole issue of prayer. Um, and, and James now here is um, seeking to impress upon us um, the fact that we should pray. He tells us we don't pray about a variety of things and that there's power in prayer. J.K. Johnson in his book, Why Christians Sin... Tell a, tells a tale about a small town that had been historically dry until a local businessman decided to build a tavern. A group of Christians from a local church were concerned and planned an all-night prayer meeting to ask God to intervene. It just so happened that shortly thereafter, lightning struck the bar and it burned to the ground. The owner of the bar sued the church claiming that the prayers of the congregation were responsible. So the church hired a lawyer to argue in court that they were not responsible. The presiding judge, after his initial review of the case, stated that no matter how this case comes out, one thing is clear. The tavern owner believes in prayer and the Christians do not. So, 
The question that arises there is, do we really believe in prayer? You know, with so much attention focused on the Middle East over the past decade or more, um, there's been a great deal of curiosity about the uh, Muslim faith. And it's interesting that there are five fundamental requirements of every Muslim, known as the five pillars of faith. Of these five, the most, the most important, according to a website that I looked into, is the practice of prayer. Five times each day, Orthodox Islamic believers bow in prayer before dawn, noon, afternoon, after sunset, and then in the evening they have prayer. They kneel, they place their foreheads on the ground, and offer their prayers toward the holiest city of Mecca, the home of Muhammad. So they, they try to face Mecca when they bow. It's, it's quite a unifying ritual for them, knowing that all over the world, Muslims are doing the same thing, bowing toward the same holy place. James, in this passage that we're going to give attention today, issues a call to prayer. Now, certainly our prayer is to be different than what the Muslims practice. Our physical position is not fixed, nor is our prayer directed toward Mecca or Muhammad as our intercessor. But there is something to be said for all praying believers facing the same direction. Not toward a city or a particular holy place, but toward the one who created the universe. And James reminds us that in the varied circumstances of life, we are to turn our faces to God in prayer. So, we need to put prayer to work. We are to pray. And James says, the first thing he talks about, what we're to pray about, is we're to pray when we are in trouble. Now, this is the only place in the entire New Testament where this word for trouble is used. It means suffering through tough times not related to physical problems. Okay? So, suffering through tough times not related to physical problems. The psalmist wrote, in Psalm 37, verse 39, the salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. Probably the big question here, at least in my mind, is, okay, we're facing trouble that's not necessarily physically related, and we know there's lots of kinds of trouble we can face that have nothing to do with physical ailment or illness or injury. How do we pray when we're in the midst of trouble? Well, I think to find the answer to that, we need to go back to James chapter 1. So do that with me. Um, he, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials or troubles of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And 
If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So, how do we pray when we're in trouble? Well, first of all, our tendency, I think, is to pray, God, get me out of this as fast as you can. Right? That is our tendency when we're facing trouble. Help! Get me out of this. But James gives us some instruction. First, he says you need to pray for perseverance. So that sounds to me like God may not always plan on getting you out of it quickly if it requires perseverance. Amen? The reason God may have you in something that you're dealing with is because He wants to develop that quality in you. The quality of perseverance or endurance. How do you handle difficulties in your life? Are you able to persevere through those things and still hold on to your faith in God? The second thing He tells us that we should pray about in the midst of trouble is that we will experience spiritual growth and maturity. Let me, let me read that again for you. Um, pray for perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's what he's talking about. Spiritual growth and maturity. That's why God allows us to go through some of these things because it's the process of refining, of shaping, of smoothing off the rough edges. God is moving us towards spiritual maturity. He wants growth to happen in our lives. And one of the ways that that happens is because when life gets tough and we're into it up to our armpits, because that's what it feels like sometimes, we begin to seek God in ways that we might not at any other time. So we pray when we're in trouble for perseverance, for spiritual growth and maturity, and then he says we can also pray for wisdom. And wisdom is asking God, help me to have an understanding of what you are trying to do in my life through this trouble that I'm dealing with. Instead of just looking for the escape hatch. In Romans 8:28, and this is the New Living Translation, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. We can take that to the bank. God is trying to accomplish something good in our lives through the trouble that we face. Now, a lot of times, our idea of good and what God's idea of good are not necessarily lined up, are they? In fact, if you listen to what we have, what you hear from some pulpits and even culturally, um, our idea of good is it will be healthier and richer and much, much happier and all of those things. But when God talks about good, He's talking about How much do you look like Jesus? Right? Is that what God's talking about? How much do you look like Jesus? That's the good He wants to accomplish in our lives. So we're to pray to God 
when we're in trouble. We're to pray when we're happy. That's when we tend not to pray. (laughs) We're to pray when we're happy. Prayer is also called for when we experience times of happiness. Usually, we don't forget to pray when things are going wrong. In fact, we have a tendency maybe to pray more when things are going wrong. Our problems serve as reminders that direct us to God. However, when things are going well, when life is coming up roses, when everything is smooth sailing, we have a tendency to forget God. I mean, who needs God when life is good? So we, have, we can have a tendency when life is good to grow lax in prayer. What do we need God for when everything is good? I think that's a problem with the church in America. I think that's one of the reasons we haven't seen the kind of revival that we're seeing in other places on the planet. Life's good. Why do we need God? James reminds us that when things are good, we should sing songs of praise to God. Are things going well for you today? Can you count your blessings? That, that song we sang, the, the prayer song, okay? That was a reminder to give thanks. Give thanks to the Holy One for all He's done for us, for giving Jesus Christ His Son. Those are, are great, great things. You know, I think there's a temptation sometimes even when we see God answering prayer. We're praying for these good things to happen. We're praying for healing. We're, we're, we're praying for growth, spiritual growth, numerical growth. We're praying for God's provision and, and God's doing that. God's doing that. And because God's answering those prayers, it's, we feel sometimes like we can relax a little bit now. What we've, want, what we've prayed would happen is happening. We can kind of back off now. <clears throat> and so we become less fervent or less frequent or maybe we quit praying altogether. And... James is encouraging us here to keep praying. And he says, sing songs. Paul even tells us that. Paul encourages us to sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, making music in our hearts to the Lord, like prayer. This comes from a guy who was able to sing when he was in prison, which says to me that all of our circumstances do not have to be pleasant for us to be happy. And singing really is a form of prayer. It just takes the words of prayer that are sung to God, not just spoken to God. We sing our prayers to Him. You ever thought about, God bless America, land that I love? That's a prayer. Please God, do this. We sing when we're happy, and it's prayer to God. 
Psalm 96, 1 and 2. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Prayers offered up in song. When you're happy, pray to God. So we sing when we're in trouble. We sing when we're happy. Excuse me. We pray when we're in trouble. We pray when we're happy. We pray when we're sick. Oh, we can sing at all those times too, can't we? We pray when we are sick. Um, so, here's the instruction. Is any of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Remember, there's a story in Matthew chapter 9. There's a man who's paralyzed. And his friends want to bring him to Jesus. But there's such a crowd at the house and at the entrance, they can't get him in. So they take him up on the roof. I've always tried to picture this. See, do you... Do you try to get mental pictures of some of these things? Scratch, scratch. I could see Jesus there and stuff starting to fall down on his head. And they make a hole in the roof and they let this man, paralyzed man, down at Jesus' feet. And you know what Jesus says first thing? Get up and walk. That's not what he says. He says, your sins are forgiven. That caused a bit of a stir. The religious leaders said, how do you have the authority to forgive sins? But that's what Jesus said. And then Jesus said, what's easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? So he said, get up and walk. He got up and walked. Interesting to me, though, here James says, the Lord will raise him up if he has sinned. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. And that's the first thing Jesus said to this man on the mount. Remember, there was another instance where Jesus came in to Jerusalem to the pool of Bethesda and there was a man there who had been crippled for 38 years. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the guy started making excuses why I had never been healed. Well, you know, God stirs the waters and if you're the first one in, you'll be good to go. But I could, nobody helps me into the water, so somebody already beats me there and... And so Jesus heals him, sees him in the temple later. This is John chapter 5, verse 14. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So you've you've got to wonder as you look at these scriptures about what sin might have had to do with the ailment that they were suffering. Not all ailments are the result of sin, but it appears that there might be some that are. And we know there are consequences to sin in our lives. Spiritual consequences. And sometimes when you make bad choices because of the lifestyle you live or whatever, it may have an impact on your body physically. And so James talks about the fact that you can offer a prayer of faith 
And it says, the Lord will raise him up, and if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. That's kind of a nice package deal, don't you think? You know, really, the basic sickness of all mankind is the sin problem. We all need healing from that, don't we? And I, you know, it, it, it impacts me that that's what Jesus addressed in both of these stories of healing with these men was the sin, sin issue. So, J, James kind of gives us a bit of a formula here. He says, if you're sick, call the elders. Now, <clears throat> different denominations have a different view of who is an elder. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, denominations, uh, different tribes. The, the elders of the church are leadership of their church. They have a board of elders, like we might call our church board. Um, in the Church of the Nazarene, I'm an elder, not because of my age, because of, but because of my office. I'm a pastor. I'm a senior pastor. I'm a preaching pastor. There's also the office of deacon. And... Deacons are, I started out as a deacon, I was ordained twice, so my halo's a little brighter than, I'm, I'm one of the rare people who has two of the little statues they give you when you get ordained, I've got two of those. Um, in the Church of the Nazarene, the, the, the preaching Pastor, that's the, the, the office of elder. And then other offices, associates. Uh, there's uh, educa- people who are in education. Um, different offices for deacons. So we view that differently. But as, but as James is talking about it, um, it seems that what he, he's calling people the elders, those who are spiritually mature. People who've walked in the faith. In fact, it says, um, uh, and the sick person, uh, the Lord will raise him up if he has sinned. I've got to find it here. And the, oh, Excuse me. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith, uh, prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. So call the elders, call the people who walk with Jesus, who mature in their faith. They are people of faith. And when they pray, they will pray in faith. Alright? So that's what he calls them to do. Call the elders of the church. Then he says, anoint with oil. Um, Oil was very symbolic, but in ancient times, oil was often used for medicinal purposes. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? When he found the man that had been beaten by the roadside, he treated his wounds with oil and wine, it says. So it was not unusual for oil to be used for medicinal purposes. So that that kind of made sense, to anoint someone who's sick with oil. But oil also in the Bible often was used as a symbol of health and vitality. If you have someone who's sick, you want them 
them to experience health and vitality. You anoint them with oil. Kings were anointed as a visible symbol of God's presence. And the same is true here. We anoint with oil as a symbol of the work of God's presence, the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, because ultimately, that is the one who accomplishes healing in someone. So there's nothing magical or supernatural about the oil itself, but by, get, by anointing with oil, we're giving a reminder that all healing comes from God. It's His power and presence that does the work. God is here, and He is able to heal you. And then it says, in the prayer offered in faith, then when you bring the elders to pray, when you anoint with oil, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And you're saying, wait a minute. Because that's what you're all saying right now. I know of cases past where people have been prayed for and anointed with oil and they weren't healed. Tony Campola tells a story about being in a church in Oregon where he was asked to pray for a man who had cancer. Campola prayed boldly for the man's healing. The next week he got a telephone call from the man's wife. She said, you prayed for my husband, he had cancer. Campolo thought that when he heard her use the past tense verb, the man who had cancer, that the man's cancer had been eradicated. But before he could think much more about it, she said, he died. Campolo felt terrible. But she continued, don't feel bad. When he came into that church that Sunday, he was filled with anger. He knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time, and he hated God. He was 58 years old and he wanted to see his children and grandchildren grow up. He was angry that this all-powerful God didn't take away his sickness and heal him. He would lie in bed and curse God. The more his anger grew towards God, the more miserable he was to everybody around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. But, the lady told Campolo, after you prayed for him, a peace came over him and a joy came into him. Tony, the last three days have been the best days of our lives. We've sung, we've laughed, we've read scripture, we prayed. Oh, they've been wonderful days. And I called to thank you for laying your hands on him and praying for healing. God healed him, just not in the way that everybody was thinking. And then she said something incredibly profound. She said, he wasn't cured, but he was healed. Amen. And then back to, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We pray when we have sinned. Oh, and aren't you glad that we can do that? Yeah. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 32, verses 3-5, through When I kept silent, 
My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And by the way, we know that sin can take a heavy physical toll upon us, can it? Not just emotional, spiritual, it can infect, infect and affect our entire being. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11.30, This is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. He's talking about sin in people's lives. Unaddressed sin issues in people's lives have deleterious effects upon them. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, and not necessarily speaking of an effect upon the body, but... Jesus says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First first go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. You need to go and confess the fact that I've sinned against you. And I need your forgiveness. I desire your forgiveness. We we seek to make it right. It's, It's confession to one another. And that's what James tells us. We need to confess our sins to one another. Accountability in the body of Christ. <clears throat> and we need to confess to God, don't we? Because first and foremost, whenever we sin, it is a sin against God. He's the one we need to confess to first of all. And then he says, so that you may be healed. And we're not always talking about just physical healing here, are we? We're talking about the healing that we need in our hearts and in our minds because of sin that we've been carrying in our lives. And if we deal with that sin, there's an amazing healing that can come into us. And a peace knowing that we have been forgiven and everything is right between God and us. And then James finishes up by talking about prayer's powerful potential. He talks about Elijah. And Elijah prayed that it would not rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. That's a pretty powerful prayer. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Wow! I'm thinking, that's a big answer. That's the kind of stuff that I... It's like, wow, what what if God ever answered that kind of prayer in my life? So do we really believe that prayer has that kind of potential? By the way, this is not about Elijah's prayer so much as it is about the power of God demonstrated when Elijah prayed to him. Elijah, it says, was a man just like us. It wasn't about Elijah's power. It was about God's answers to the prayers that Elijah prayed. It was about God's power. Elijah was by nature no different than any of us here today. He wasn't Superman. He didn't have superpowers. But when he prayed, he connected with God Almighty who worked wonders. 
And we can pray big prayers and God can do wonders in our lives as well. When Hudson Taylor first went to China, he made the voyage on a sailing ship. As it neared the channel between the southern Malay Peninsula and the island of Sumatra, the missionary heard an urgent knock on his stateroom door. He opened it and there stood the captain of the ship. Mr. Taylor, he said, we have no wind. We are drifting toward an island where the people are heathen and I fear they are cannibals. What can I do? asked Taylor. Well, I understand that you believe in God. I want you to pray for wind. Taylor responded, All right, Captain, I will, but you must set the sails. The captain was agitated and said, Why, that's ridiculous. There's not even the slightest breeze. Besides, the sailors will think I'm crazy. Nevertheless, the captain finally agreed. Forty-five minutes later, he returned and found the missionary still on his knees. You can stop praying now, said the captain. We've got more wind than we know what to do with. (laughs) Do we believe that God answers prayers like that? You know, I was thinking, people were coming into the meal last night and saying, Wow, Pastor, the parking lot is full. Do we believe that our parking lot could be that full on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning for worship service? Do we believe that we can effectively find ways to reach out to our community and make connections with people that Jesus is calling to Himself? Do we believe that lives can be transformed? Do we believe that bodies can be healed? Do we believe that we can pray and God will answer big prayers? I think we pray small sometimes. What kind of wind do we need to stir up in prayer? And will we say, okay, we've got more wind than we know what to do with? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Let's pray. Father, we are encouraged to pray in the variety of circumstances in life that we face. When we're in trouble. When we're happy. When we're sick. When there's sin in our lives. In other words, we're to pray all the time because there's something like that going on in our lives all the time. And Father, um, the example of Elijah, a man of faith, I mean, it's not that you had given him some kind of supernatural power, but he had great faith. And he believed in prayer. And he believed that you answered prayer. And so when he prayed that it wouldn't rain, it didn't. And when he prayed that it would rain again, it did. And James said, Elijah was a man just like us. And so, Father... 
Help us to be people who, when we pray, first of all, pray rightly. We know that we need help to do that. It's the guidance of your Holy Spirit. We want to keep that element of selfishness, for me kind of thing, out of there. You know, so often when we pray for your blessing, we... We don't always pray for the kind of blessing you want to give us. So we understand we need your help. We need the guidance of the Holy Spirit when we pray. But, oh God, when we pray, as we pray rightly, help us to pray with great faith. Believing, God, that you can do great things. And that you desire to answer those kinds of prayers. Because we know from the Scripture there are certain things that you always want to do. You always want to redeem people to yourself. You want people to be saved. You want people to be forgiven of their sins. We know that we can pray for that kind of thing and you desire to answer those prayers. We need to believe that you will. We know that you desire for us to be bold and courageous in the world where we live. To share the good news of Jesus with others. That's a prayer that you desire answer. You desire to give us the wisdom that we need in times of trouble that we face. You desire to give us the perseverance we need. And you desire to answer prayers for growth and spiritual maturity in our lives. We know there are things that your Scripture says you desire to do in our lives. And when we pray for those things, you desire to answer those prayers. Give us the faith to believe that you will. And help us to pray big. We need to pray big for our church. Lord, we, we want our parking lot not just to be full on nights when we serve these wonderful meals. But we want the parking lot to be full when we gather together on Sunday morning in worship. To be fed spiritually. Do we believe that you can do that? Or will do that? And I pray that our answer will be, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And it will encourage and challenge us and motivate us to be people of prayer who pray for the big things that you want to do because you are a God that's bigger than we can imagine or wrap our minds around. And thank you for James' instruction to us today. It's a reminder that we need And help us to be people of prayer. And help this to be a house, a place of prayer. Because that's your intention for us. And thank you, Father. We don't want to be remiss in thanking you for the things that you've done already to answer our prayers. This is a season of when we focus specifically on thanksgiving. And Lord God, I know it's different for all of us. We've all prayed different prayers. We've all seen you work differently in, in, in answer to prayer. But we say one corporate thank you, Lord God, for the way you have answered our prayers and worked in our lives and blessed us this past year. And teach us what it means to pray in faith, to pray big, and to believe that you will answer prayers in the coming year. For the sake of Jesus and your kingdom. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.